Hello and welcome to episode 199 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Sheldon. Today on the podcast, we debate pivoting Some Like It, Scott into a Texas true crime podcast in our review of Vengeance, the directorial debut of comedian B.J. Novak. But first, how are you, Scott? Yeah, we'll have to think of a... I'm pretty good. I have to think of a creative name to come up with besides Dead White Girl. I don't think that super applies to us, but maybe we can do something like... Why I don't know. We'll have to workshop it. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna say anything. Yeah, it's only like, gonna go downhill from there. Danger, <laughs> dangerous. Just trying to improv that. Yeah, like, yeah. No, any, I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing well. I just got back from Miami <clears throat> earlier today. Was down there for a week and a half. Hence my bad audio quality in the last episode, at least compared to normal. I don't know. I, Scott doesn't know. He didn't listen. He was too busy trying to survive his car disaster, his car problems earlier in the week to care about. <laughs> yeah, what I'm here. I'm alive. Thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean. But yeah, you 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 survived. I survived. I'm back in New York. I'm running on low fumes right now. I woke up at 4.30 this morning for my flight. So we'll see if I start sounding nonsensical later in the episode. Maybe it's already happened, Scott. I can't even tell. Yeah, I mean, you know, most episodes you do reach that point. So maybe it'll just be sure. earlier. I mean, interesting. So we'll see, we'll see if I set a new record today. I guess so. But, you know, I don't think you've ever sounded as nonsensical as I probably do on most of these episodes. Too, so you got a high bar to, to get to there. But no, 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 no. Um, yeah, I survived my car troubles. Uh, it was it was fine. I uh, I got through the first couple of days of the week and then the park came in and I'm as good as new now. Not not really. Uh, I wouldn't say that my car is ready for another two hundred ninety thousand miles, but it should hopefully as good stay. as new as a two hundred ninety thousand mile car can, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Stay ticking for a little bit longer, hopefully. Um, but yeah, Scott, uh, as mentioned, our film today is Vengeance, the first film written and directed by comedian and office star B.J. Novak. Novak also stars in this film as Ben, an accomplished journalist for The New Yorker who is in search of his next big story when the film opens. That story soon falls unexpectedly into his lap when he receives a call from Ty Shaw, played by Boyd Holbrook, a Texas man who informs Ben of some tragic news. Ty's sister and Ben's girlfriend, Abilene, has died suddenly of a suspected drug overdose. There's just one problem. Abilene is not actually Ben's girlfriend. She's merely a girl that Ben hooked up with in New York a few times. But Abilene's country fried family has been told a different story. And before Ben can get a word of clarification in, he's on a plane to West Texas to attend Abilene's funeral. Ben, of course, isn't intending to stay long, but after the funeral, Ty lets Ben in on a secret. He believes that Abilene did not die of an accident and was, in fact, murdered. Instantly, Ben sees an opportunity to hook the big fish he's been seeking and calls his friend Eloise, played by Issa Rae, who happens to be an editor for a public radio organization, to pitch her his new idea, a podcast series about the murder of Abilene Shaw and, by extension, about America as told by the people in Abilene's backwater Texas town. The podcast series is greenlit, and Ben moves in with Abilene's family, which includes her mother Sharon, played by J. Smith Cameron, sisters Paris and Kansas City, played by Isabella Amara and Dove Cameron, and little brother Mason, played by Ellie, Ackham's, <laughs> Ellie Abrams Bikel. But as he digs deeper into Abilene's story, Ben begins to learn as much about himself as he does the people in Abilene's town and embarks on a journey of self-discovery he never saw coming. Scott, does Novak's button-pushing debut speak with wisdom on the divide between red and blue state Americans, or does the rookie filmmaker bite off more than he can chew with this small-town American character piece? 
I think he bites off more than he can chew. Ultimately, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I, I had a lot of uh, anticipation, almost. I guess it built up going into this movie. It gotten pretty like better reviews than I expected it to. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not an Office fan. I think we've talked on on air before about how neither of us are really super into sitcoms that much, and The Office never really spoke to me the couple times that I tried it. So I, I don't have a particular investment in B.J. Novak. Uh, you know, this cast, although you know, I'm I'm a big fan of J. Smith Cameron from her time on Succession, and you know, still on Succession as, as far as I know uh, with the upcoming season four, but. Ashton Kutcher is probably the next most person I'm attached to in this cast. And and even though I was anticipating, so I had a hard time, I think, connecting with a lot of the characters, because I do think a lot of these characters are sort of like trying to, you know, wink and nod towards maybe some real life personas of these individuals. I think some for comedic effect with someone like John Mayer in the opening scene. But I think also BJ Novak's like kind of leaning into his own, um, you know, sort of real life persona. I think that the movie's sort of like winking and nodding about like this sort of like Ashton Kutcher bravado. I mean, it's obviously not Ashton Kutcher in real life. I mean, I wouldn't think so. At least maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but I, I, I do think that it's trying to lean into like public perceptions of those things. And so I think for that reason, I, I wasn't going to be as connected um, as I may have hoped I would have been going in, uh, going into the film. And on top of that, you talk about sort of like this deep, almost um, introspective and very like contemplative, sort of undertone, sometimes even overtone of the movie. And I always, I kind of just came out feeling like it was all just a bunch of bluster. Like, I, I don't know, like it, it was trying to be a meta commentary on people who just like, you know, just talk for literal hours about like what America is and what America isn't. And, but like at some point it decided, it, it like switched into gears to like <laughs> bring its point home. And I think kind of just fell victim to its own, to the things it was lampooning. A little bit. I don't know. I, I didn't actually find a lot of like the meta qualities of the film ultimately very insightful. Um, I wasn't really quite sure what to make of it. I think I, I left the film thinking that it was trying to make a serious point, but not really feeling like it effectively did. But but then again, maybe it wasn't trying to make a very serious point. I, I don't really know. I, I, I think I was just ultimately a little bit confused about the layer below the surface on this film. It seemed like it was going for something and I just didn't connect with it, you know, for, for better or for worse. I, I don't think that the social commentary, again, really like I don't think you have to fully get on board with the social commentary to to enjoy the film, because there are still parts of the film that I did enjoy. I think this is a pretty funny film uh, at certain points. Uh, there are some couple jokes we were talking about before we started recording that, you know, some of the loudest I've laughed in a theater in a while. Um, some, some really some really on point comedy there. And I, I do think some of the dynamics um, between members of the cast play out pretty well. But I don't know, I, I just kind of, you know, a day plus removed from watching this movie, I just felt like it was missing that like final ingredient to make a lot of the disparate parts work together. And I don't know if you felt similar or not. But ultimately, I think it's a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, I do feel similarly. Um, you know, I didn't know about this movie. And until a few weeks ago, I saw a trailer and I thought, hey, that actually looks kind of interesting. Um, I am also not an Office fan, again, as we have talked about, um, but I actually did see BJ Novak um, speak. He came to uh, my college, actually, I think either my freshman or sophomore year. 
And, you know, I went to a small school. So it was like when somebody, even a BJ Novak's stature comes, you know, everybody goes to it. So I went, even though I didn't sure. really have any attachment to him. And it was good. It was, it, you know, I remember it being very funny and um, enjoyable. So that was really my only connection to BJ Novak. But it does, of course, have this sort of thing that you can even get from the trailer that I'm often very skeptical about nowadays, which is the Adam McKay-ish, like, here we go, here comes this white guy, you know, person who's been involved in comedy previously, who is going to solve all of America's problems with their, like, serious movie here. And I do think it is definitely on the better side of those movies. Um I, I would compare this more to like the the John Stewart movie that we reviewed a couple of years ago, Irresistible. Um, sure. In that, I think both movies have their hearts in the right place, and I think there are moments of actual insight in the movie. Um, and you know, B.J. Novak, he's a smart guy, right? He went to Harvard. Um, he he knows what he's talking about on some of these topics. But I know we hate saying this comment because it often means nothing. But I have to say, this does kind of feel like it was the for his first film. It feels like a movie that was made by a first-time filmmaker. And I say that because it feels overstuffed. It feels like he had all these ideas that were swirling around and that he wanted to make in a movie. And he kind of started with all these ideas, and then he created a story around that and tried to sort of cram all of the ideas in there. And I think you especially see that in the third act, um, yeah. which ends up in kind of a big exposition dump. Um in, in a way with uh, that involves Ashton Kutcher's character that you're mentioning, the music producer. Um, and it just like, there's exposition that comes out and it's just like a long sort of philosophical conversation about America almost. That's like, yeah. there's so many different things going on here. It's hard to, it's hard, you know, for me to say what exactly he wanted me to take away from it. Again, it just feels like he had a lot of things that he wanted to say with this movie and he just chose to kind of, dump them all out there in this final scene. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's and almost weird because like the whole point of the movie, well, I shouldn't say the whole point, but like one of the, one of the key parts of the film, which is the mystery of like what happened to Abilene Shaw. I, it, it plays so fast and loose with that. I know the film maybe ultimately is not about that. And, and maybe that it's making yeah. some commentary about how, you know, this is sort of used as th these types of deaths and these types of mysteries are used as like, I don't know, tools of people and abused in a way. And I, and I get that's kind of the point, but I, I feel like a criticism that I often heard or sometimes heard leveled at knives out about it. There's not really being a mystery at the core of it. Like there's not really a, a crime that happens at the, you know, spoilers for knives out. There's no, the, the, the central crime that starts the movie off is not actually what happened. And that's like kind of what happened in this movie. Wow. Like there was, there the wasn't like really a crime. That, yeah. The people who say that about knives out are very unserious. Minds, I mean, yeah. is all I will say, but um, sure, sure. But I'm saying I actually yeah, no. think that that criticism would apply to this movie. And I sure. and I was kind of bummed by that. Like, it just sort of discards it. I feel like it doesn't completely discard it, but it feels like it just becomes it almost becomes tertiary, not even secondary, but like tertiary to the story. Um, by the yeah, end. that that didn't necessarily bother me as much because, again, I do think it's trying to make that sort of commentary that you're mentioning there about how these events get exploited. And I actually think one of the strong parts of the movie is it really is authentic to the type of podcast that this guy would be making. Like he, when he first gets out of the, the truck there and calls Issa Ray and he like goes on, you know, is on the phone with her and he does like what is basically the intro the opening, to the first yeah. episode of the podcast. It sounds exactly like you're listening to S town or something like that. Like yeah. S town being, I think 
what this is clearly probably the the podcast that this is clearly drawing from the most which if you don't know what that is it's from the producers of serial basically it was about a journalist kind of like ben who went to this town in alabama started talking to this guy john something i can't remember his last name is who was supposed to be like you know out there and and made claims about crimes that were going on and in the end the second episode i believe it was the guy the guy died in real life he died he killed himself and the rest of the podcast series ends up kind of being about america again like it's it's very clearly like it's very close to what sort of the through line of this movie but anyway it's authentic like bj novak knows what he is sort of satirizing and commentating on here in terms of those types of podcasts and so i thought that stuff kind of worked because it, it again it had a real authenticity about it well but the reason why like, I, sorry just just one last note on this mm-hmm. the reason why it did bother me is because it went, it went back and forth so much with not, not only did it did it not ultimately matter what happened at the end it like made you think one thing then another and then went yeah. back to another thing and then back again and i was just like why are we even doing this i don't even know why it definitely wants to have its cake and eat it too a little bit, right? And wants you to like really lock, be locked into the thriller part of it, especially towards the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I, uh, I was disappointed by the third act. I think I, there's a little bit of a shrug at what happened. What the the action that he chooses to take towards the very end of the film, I was very sort of confused by in a way. But um, I also think you know, again, I, I mentioned its heart is in the right place clearly he is aware of something like S-Town, right, being exploitative of Southern culture in Southern people in particular, and like, oh, here comes the, you know, well, well-educated, like, white liberal into this Southern town, and he's just going to be sort of looking at all of these people with a mocking eye, and yada, yada, yada. And B.J. Novak is very aware of that, and that he himself, you know, could be accused of that, and like, very explicitly, I think, in the film, like, calls himself out on that. But I still think there is almost a condescending quality to making a whole movie that is at least partially like, oh, I went here, you know, to make fun of these people, but it turns out, you know, they're people too, and whatnot. Like, there's still something condescending about that, again, to me, that you would need to put that idea in a film, right? That people don't just know that right like you know just you you just have to get out of your bubble i guess and here he literally gets out of his bubble but um again i i feel like it's it's an admirable intent that he doesn't quite land but at the at at the least at least right it doesn't come off as him having complete and utter contempt for a certain you know, side of America or a certain audience like an Adam McKay film does, for example, like like Vice, for example, has complete contempt for its audience. Um, so that's why I think it's it's definitely a good deal better than that film. And it is funny. It is entertaining. Um, I just I just wasn't satisfied in the end. Um, and, you know, it's disappointing because I feel like it could have been something more. Uh, it could have been, you know, what the trailers promise and even what the first little bit of the film promised like i think the movie starts out pretty strong like i I really liked the opening scene with um with john mayer like just some of the dialogue there is pretty like again i mentioned they're having they're being inside of the film like there's insight there about like dating culture and hookup culture 
and everything in the modern times. And they're talking about like, oh, I have her in my phone as a random house party girl. Does that mean she worked at random house or does that mean I met her at a random house party? Um, you know, it's funny stuff, but um, I laughed, you know, uh, a lot, especially during the beginning of the movie, which is, you know, rare for me. So I think that has to count for something. Um, ultimately it comes down as a mixed bag for me, but, but I think it's an interesting mixed bag. Like I wouldn't tell people to not see it if they're intrigued by it. Um, I just think it's a little overstuffed and unfocused and that, but, but that, you know, I think it does show that BJ Novak, I think could have a, a good film in him down the line. So, um, Scott, I think we can move on and talk about the cast here. Um, again, BJ Novak, it is his first film, but he's a known name. And so he's able to um, assemble a pretty decent cast here. Um, you mentioned Jay Smith Cameron, who is having a moment uh, as, you know, one of the main characters on Succession. Ashton Kutcher shows up as this music producer um, who's very sort of enigmatic, larger-than-life figure. Boyd Holbrook plays the brother, as I mentioned. Issa Rae is his friend who's producing the podcast. Uh, and then there's B.J. Novak himself um, in the lead. What? Who do you want to talk about here? Did anyone stand out for you from this ensemble? I think in terms of people who actually, I think, did stand out, I, I liked Ashton Kutcher a lot. I'll be honest. Like, I know he's sort of, you know, maybe he's, I, I think he's probably the biggest name in this cast, even bigger than B.J. Novak. And I think that it was fun to see him in, in a pre in a role where he gets to sort of ham it up a little bit um, and have fun doing it. I, I don't think that it's a character that really is supposed to have a lot of depth to him. I mean, may, maybe, maybe you disagree. I don't know. There, there are some things in the third act, like we thought that get into exposition dumps, which his character's involved in. I don't take this character's POV too seriously, which is why I think that the sort of hamming up of it and the sort of like, I don't know, like blowing hot airness of it all kind of worked. I think that he's this sort of sharp, charismatic guy who sort of in, in juxtaposition to to Ben, BJ Novak's character, went to school at at the in at Yale, I believe is what he's Yale or Harvard. I don't remember which it is. He goes to one of the Ivy League schools and then he moves down in, to Texas and he sort of assimilates into that society and and sort of is able to make a life albeit potentially exploiting people there as well, but in a way that Ben, you know, in a way that's more advanced than what Ben came down to do with his podcast, I think. And I think it's an interesting, in the context of the film and what it's trying to talk about, maybe it's the most interesting sort of meta meta context. Again, I, I don't put too much stock in the actual words that are being said, but I think the actual character itself, when sort of put on the screen next to this guy who's just freshly come down from New York to record a podcast, Versus, you know, Ashton Kutcher's character who's been down here for 10, 15 years or whatever, you know, you know, working his con or however you want to describe it. I think that's an interesting, I think there is something interesting there going on. And I think that Ashton Kutcher does that really well. Yeah, the first scene he's in is actually pretty captivating, honestly. Like he, yeah. he uh, walks charismatic. into the, the music studio where it's a barn. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's producing this, you know, young teenage singer's um song song and he's giving her like this pep talk about like how sound was like the first thing that was ever yeah. created or whatever yeah. and it starts out and and i will say i think the movie gets a little repetitive in the middle in the way that like 
all the scenes start out with him like interacting with some one you know some of these southern people and he's like oh here we go you know this is the stuff you're expecting to hear the you know mm-hmm. dumb southern hicks or whatever and then by the end it's like whoa actually there were all these great insights that came out of this i feel like there's a few too many scenes like this but this one is probably like the best example where um you know bj novak starts rolling his eyes but then like you know he's obviously very good at what he does and like the yeah. girl starts singing and like bj novak like it it might be bj novak's best moment of acting when he's just like listening to her singing and he's like whoa like because yeah. she has a good voice and also it's like her lyrics is like literally just talking about her like working at claire's and like yeah uh, being left alone at the mall there's like a purity to it um that i yeah. think he's impressed by as well but um that, that girl actually, also she won the voice like a few years ago oh really How do i looked it up that? after uh, yeah makes sense but but then yeah ashton kutcher turns out to be this like sort of magnanimous guy who like has all these sort of nuggets of wisdom that he like drops in that first scene um one bit that i like not really necessarily a nugget of wisdom but how he calls bj novak out for being a playlist guy a spotify playlist guy i thought that was pretty dead on as like you don't actually the type of music that you listen to you don't even know who you're listening to like you like everything that you're listening to you know songs, you enjoy certain songs, but you are just like consuming what the Spotify algorithm basically has um, has fed you. And they basically sort of uh, play off of that again later in the movie too when he's talking to Issa Rae at one point. I don't know if you noticed it or not, Scott, but like on her computer, they very clearly like focus on that the, she has the like Spotify the Discover playlist. Weekly. Yep. Yeah, Spotify I did notice that, yeah. Um, yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny. But um yeah, I think it's one of Ashton Kutcher's better performances as well. I'm just disappointed with what they did in the character, with the character in the end. Like, not even that they made him, like, kind of a fraudster, because I think that was always the vibe that he gave off. Oh, yeah, yeah. But just, again, the, like, sort of dump of different ideas about America that he sort of expresses towards the end that I just like I had trouble like focusing on a single thing he was saying because then it was like it we've moved on to a, a different idea here um yeah but I think he's good I actually really liked Boyd Holbrook's performance as well as Ty the brother I thought that was kind mm-hmm. of a um a performance where you don't really know is this guy serious? Like he's really walking the line of, is this guy serious? Is he like a crazy, you know, is he actually know everything he's talking about or is he like a crazy conspiracy theorist? Like you might expect him to be initially. I think he keeps you guessing kind of almost like the S town guy, like John in S town. He's like that type of figure. Um, and I thought that he, he walked that line, you know, really, um, carefully and again you know you kind of get that with a lot of the characters um they they end up knowing more than they let on like in one point at one point bj novak's trying to explain what a Chekhov's gun is to one of uh that was really sisters and she like starts spouting off her knowledge about you know Chekhov's plays or whatever and he's like well actually i haven't read any any of them Uh, um there's not a there's not a gun in uncle vanya or what was the other one the cherry orchard yeah cherry orchard Um, which is a little far-fetched but like i get you know the, the idea is is good but yeah um, yeah yeah but i thought boyd holbrook especially was kind of uh again a captivating figure at the heart of all this yeah, everyone well, else i think you can catch him real soon because i think he's like one of the he's one of the million people 
but I think one of the main characters in the Sandman, which comes out on Netflix next week, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I've seen him in like character actor roles and stuff before, but this is kind of like the first time when I was like, oh, that's Boyd Holbrook. Yeah, he was solid. Um, He's in Indiana, Indiana, the fifth Indiana Jones movie next year. Well, we don't know if that's actually going to come out. We'll see. But um, the movie's done shooting. I I think it's coming out. (laughs) Is it really? Okay. Well, everybody else is pretty solid. You know, you get like Luann Stevens, for example, plays the grandmother, of course. Anyone who knows her knows her as being Matt Saracen's grandma on um, on Friday Night Lights. She's like one of those like Texas character actors that will basically only act in movies that are like set in Texas. There's like a whole sect of these people. Like sure. if you watch a, if you watch a lot of Linklater movies, for example, which is like how I pick up on some of them, like you will start to recognize some of these people showing up in things and then showing up in other things. And actually, like the um, the pipeline from Linklater to Pete Berg and Friday Night Lights is like pretty funny. Like a lot of the Friday Night Lights like character actors will show up in Linklater movies and vice versa. And obviously Luann Stevens shows up here, but she gets some good oh, moments yeah. as the, so good. the sassy girl. Oh my God. The so one of my good. favorite lines is when they're at the dinner table and um his phone connects to the Wi-Fi and he starts getting all these messages from yeah girls and they're like, like you know kate yeah. bumble or whatever it's all in the names of like dating apps and there's one that's from raya or whatever and you just you just barely hear her in the background it's not even like foregrounded in the sound mix she's going like i thought raya was supposed to be exclusive yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i also heard that <laughs> it was like, I was like oh the dead. fact that she would know that is pretty hilarious uh, this west texas grandma knows about raya no way yeah that that this is how you know this movie's this movie is is not is is not is fiction. It's because you have a granny saying that about Ryan, and then Jay Smith Cameron has children because like Jerry would never have give have kids in succession. Um, yeah, but anyway, like the movie, like again, it is funny. Like it, it for the most part knows what it's talking about. Like I think he has his finger on the button of like. The kind of ideas that we are thinking about in America nowadays and like mm-hmm. the idea behind the divide between red and blue states. I just don't think he knows how to express them all in a narratively compelling way. Or what really. or what really to make of it, I think also, which maybe is part of not yeah. having a concise way to communicate it either. Yeah. I don't know. So, Scott, let's talk a little bit about that third act, though. Um, OK. Because we do eventually, the reveal happens, you know, we're in spoiler territory, obviously, at this point. Um, he is able to get into um, to Aveline's phone, finally, which the whole way that comes about is a little eye-rolly, but um, how he figures out the passcode. But um, he gets into her phone, he discovers that she is has been kind of playing her family as well, right, and that... Ben doesn't actually seem to mean any more to her than she meant to him, right? Um, and that the person she's actually been talking to and playing off as Ben, right, is Ashton Kutcher's character, is the record producer. And so he ends up, Ben ends up meeting up with Ashton Kutcher at this like party. And this long, again, scene that we've been talking about ensues where um, Ashton Kutcher confesses on um on on the recording you know ben is recording him that he killed abilene or that he didn't help her basically um when he could have when she was taking a lot of drugs and then sort of goes on this long diatribe again 
um, partially kind of about the idea that, oh, hey, you're going to put this out there. And sure, at first, people are going to be mad that I, you know, confess to this and that I'm guilty. But then everybody's going to come out with their takes. Right. And all of a sudden it's going to come back on you. Right. And it's going to be were you ethical for um, for even creating this podcast? Right. And are you really the one at fault? Or, you know, is he is it your fault? Like you, you never um, paid any attention to her, right? She was just a hookup to you. She was just a name in your phone, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then it basically ends up with BJ Novak shooting Ashton Kutcher's character and killing him, um, in the titular act of vengeance, um, before he ends up leaving West Texas. And he actually destroy, uh, wipes the podcast and says, I'm not going to do the podcast anymore. We're going to keep this between me and the family. What do you make of all this, Scott? I, I do think that if you just isolated the whole point that, you know, this character of Quentin Sellers, which is Ashton Kutcher's music producer, is making, I think it. I think it's that is actually one thing that I think is pretty insightful yeah. about the film because I think you can see that sort of cycle of, of commentary, of discourse, um, in certain in certain spaces. Twitter, namely, being one of them, but I think they happen in other areas as well maybe some that we're not as close to just because we're on twitter a lot so we see we see the discourse out there uh but i i do think though when you take it in the context of the rest of the movie it, it ends up it still ends up feeling a little bit emptier i think than it would if it were just in isolation because although he's not wrong it just gets like all muddied up by the fact that like yes she was just a name in his in his phone but like she felt the same way about him. We find out in the in this final act yeah. of the movie that that she was just using Ben as a cover to talk with with Quentin the whole time. Yeah. So it it does feel like it, I think maybe this goes back to the point you were making. You know, you've been making the whole time is that it just feels like there's there's almost too many plates spinning to really perfectly balance the narrative of it all. Um, and I think that it does ultimately detract. I think again in isolation, I think it's an interesting point but i'm not sure in the context of the movie you really yeah. know what to do with that I, I i do think the the response of of shooting the character and deleting the podcast it, it feels like a big character jump to be honest for ben um you know maybe he what feels are like we he's supposed doing... to feel about him shooting ashton well, kutcher because like that's what i don't really know well yeah and that's exactly where i was going because it's like ashton kutcher he's yes he's a bad dude like he's a drug like he's a drug dealer he doesn't care whether people live or die that he's selling these drugs I don't like to seeing people just get killed like that i mean sure yeah but it's like i i think that you come back around to this sort of like you know educated liberal coastal elite coming to west texas and like okay yes he's not saving them through like podcast justice or whatever like um ex exposing the truths of the society but he's doing it by picking up a gun and shooting someone through texas justice right? texas like, justice right but that, that, but, whole, that in and of itself, but that in and of itself is like a is uh, stereotypes are sometimes rooted in, in truths well. in truths but but i i still feel like it's it's sort of it, it, i think the movie is asking you not to think too hard about about the ending um it's an interesting choice but it's not interesting in a in a good way i think if that makes sense yeah like it, it seems like it just wants to be like a neat oh hey he got his vengeance right and now everybody's happy and like no there needs to be more nuance especially based on the way the film has been 
before. And, and yeah, like the whole thing about like the cycle of takes, this is what I mean when I say, I think he has some things to say. I agree certainly with what's being said there. I didn't feel like the movie was building towards that idea at all. Really? Um, again, that kind of feels like it was a little bit thrown in there. Like the rest of the movie is more about, again, his, his own self-reflection, Ben's own self-reflection about like, a couple of things. Number one, like, oh, uh, you know, this hookup culture or whatever that we're in is like really toxic. And, yeah, um, you know, I just used these people basically. And number two, that like this segment of America, there's a lot more there than than he would have ever given them credit for. And then all of a sudden, but then all of a sudden, right, Ashton Kutcher starts going off about like, oh, the podcast audience and people on social media and everything. And it just feels like he's going down a different route than where he'd previously been going. Um, but again, it, it does like, it makes sense what he's saying. Like, you know, I was thinking about just cause, cause I saw a little bit of discourse swirling about it again this week, but like, you know, once upon a time in Hollywood, for example, when it came out, a lot of people uh, were like the Sharon Tate came out. Of it all. Yeah, yeah. It came out as like, Oh, that well, this is like unethical or whatever that Tarantino like beat up the Manson family or whatever this way. Like it's horrible. Like the the acts of violence against them and against the women in particular are like really heinous and horrible and everything. And even you know using Sharon Tate in the way that he does, I think people were mad about that. It, it feels like kind of the same thing that Ashton Kutcher's saying of like, well, actually, people are going to move on from the initial thought process of oh, the Manson family were actually really pretty terrible people and murdered a lot of people in real life. And um, it's nicer to see Sharon Tate not die than it is to see her die. And they're going to like, they have to have some kind of take. So they're going to come up with, oh, well, he shouldn't have been this violent towards women. He shouldn't have. He's just as bad as the Mansons. Yeah, exactly. Um, Everyone's got to have the extreme extreme take on it, which. Scott, the truth is, is, if we were if we were better at having those extreme takes, we would uh, have a bigger podcast. So we should work on that. Maybe so. Um, I mean, I think I have some pretty extreme takes about like animals and movies and everything, for example. I think that's you don't tweet about them enough, though. You got to You got to get yourself out there more. I guess I should. But again, a salient point that Ashton Kutcher's character makes. Sure. Absolutely. Not a salient point for this movie, though. I felt like um, Agreed. it was just came out of nowhere. It was unsatisfying. And then, yeah, the shooting him. I didn't. I was just like wow okay like I, I again i didn't see that coming i didn't feel like it was super consistent with the character and i didn't know how i was supposed to feel because the movie ends like two minutes later after you've just seen him murder this guy in cold blood basically yeah i mean deleting the podcast and like killing it i think that's something that's closer to making sense although I deleting the podcast sure but like killing uh, i don't know but yeah, but then it it ends up with him being like, oh, well, I deleted the podcast. I'm not going to put this out there because this is going to be like a story of us. And OK, sure. Like, again, I still I still have a little uh, get rubbed a little bit the wrong way by the whole like I found, you know, people down here that I now have am close to and like. You know, they say to him at one point, like, if you died or whatever down here or something like that, is there anybody back in New York or whatever that's going to care for you or miss you? 
well, you know, look at Abilene. Look at, you know, what happened with her. She's got a whole family and everything here and whatnot. It's just a little, like... John Mayer would care. Icky, icky. Come on. Yeah, John Mayer probably would care, but I don't, I don't know. I still feel like it's he's... He still has a very sort of single-minded view of these people in a way. It's just a more positive view than <laughs> yeah. you would normally get from this type of movie, I guess. Yeah. Anything else you want to add here, Scott? Um, you know, uh, there's certainly plenty of topics that uh, the movie covers, I think. Um, but, you know, they all kind of come out in that that final moment there that we've talked about. And any anything else you think is worth discussing here on this movie? I mean, we didn't talk that much about the humor. Uh, I, I do think that this, I mentioned it sort of in, in my opening bit, but I do think this movie is, is quite funny. I think you might have mentioned it as well in passing. But there's some parts, you know, the opening scene with John Mayer um, is, you know, the scene around the dinner table is funny. Um, but then also just like some of the some of the comedic points just sort of sprinkled in throughout. I think this this film has some consistently funny moments. Not every joke hits, um, but not every joke yeah. could hit at the same time. So I will say there is some kind of tropey humor at times, like, you know, the gun stuff that happens. And uh, the scene at the rodeo that takes place where oh, yeah, that, awesome. the college football thing and um, that was just cringe. Yeah, that that feels like very again, he kind of wants to have his cake and eat it, too. Like he wants to make this point about how oh, I'm humanizing all of these, you know, southern people. And I'm actually the jackass for looking at them in this way. But then I think he still wants to capitalize on some of these like these jokes about these classic sort of tropey jokes about Southern people again, like the whole college football well, thing. Yeah, it's, it's both, right? He's both making fun of, he's, he, he's like SNLing it, right? Like he's making fun of both sides, you know? Yeah. Um, he's making but like fun the of, idea, uh, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, he gets called down there and they're like, Oh, why do you like the university of Texas? He's like, Oh, cause they had a film school They're you know, they have a great film school. And Richard Linklater went there and all this stuff. And then the other guy's like Texas tech quarterback. Blah, 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 and like, everybody goes crazy. Uh, that's why I like Texas tech. It's just like it's it's an easy way out. Yeah. And even even when, you know, later in the movie, he goes on this rant, Ben does, about like when he really snaps and goes off on her family okay. in the parking lot of the Whataburger. How badly did you want a Whataburger? After, yeah, after it's pretty tasty. Movie. I won't lie. I do like the idea of like Whataburger. What do we like about it? It's like it's, it's that it's it's there. It's just there. Um, and then the way that Boyd Holbrook's character explains it as like that's what love is or whatever like i thought that was that was well done um but he goes on this whole rant you know he's using all these insults like you know you you guys don't believe in vaccines and all this stuff and you know just going off on like the worst criticisms of like trump america you know trumpy americans and everything i do feel like he wants us to still feel like there's a little bit of truth in what he's saying there about some of these people even though that scene is supposed to be like oh hey look at what a d-bag this guy is like he's thought this the whole time about these people and he was just using them um i don't know i, I feel like a, as much effort as he put into writing that whole rant and performing it i feel like he wants us to think there's a little bit of truth there too but um yeah anyway yeah ultimately i think it, it was it, it Yes, the third act was unsatisfying. I guess just as a final note. Yes, the third act was unsatisfying. The film is still only like 95 minutes. So 
it doesn't overstay its welcome too much. I will say that it doesn't feel too long. Um, I just wish that it had tied a, a bow on it a little bit better. I and mean, we said that multiple times now. All right, Scott, uh, I think we can wrap up then. Uh, let's put, no, let's not put a score on it. Tell us what your favorite senior moment is first. I mean, it's, yeah. Did I say this on air already? There's a joke. Uh, I don't think I said this on air yet. There, there's a joke um, involving Liam Neeson movies and BJ Novak being Jewish um, and the film Schindler's List about a third of the way through the movie. And that is the loudest I have laughed in the theater in a while. Comes completely out of nowhere. Um, talks about how much of a downer the film is. And, uh, you know, it was it was really funny. It was a really funny joke. Yeah, I feel like I've talked about a lot of my favorite jokes along the way. The Raya one was definitely really good. I like a lot of the John Mayer stuff that happens in the first scene, mainly because they even call him John. Or like, his name is John. Like, John Mayer is playing himself here. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it would probably have to be have to be one of those moments or the Whataburger stuff. Again, I, I feel like I've highlighted a lot of my favorite moments as we've gone along. But there there is some good stuff in the movie. Like, it is definitely not a complete loser. All right. Now let's put a score on it, Scott. What do you give this movie out of 10? 5.8. 6.2 for me. I'm just a little bit higher on it. Promising. Again, I think there's something there for BJ Novak in the future, um, but it feels like a first film. I'm sorry, but I got to say it. It really does. Yeah. One of the things about this, and I'm curious just as we wrap this up here real fast, do you think that it's an issue of his writing not being refined enough or his directing not being skilled enough because my thought my immediate reaction to that question is oh actually i think that he directed it pretty well yeah. i think that it was the script that was really lacking if that's the case he just needs to find a good script to direct i'd be really curious how something like that would turn out um i don't know if you felt differently maybe I can see where you're coming from. I could also see it being like a Sorkin problem, right? Where he overwrites the movie a little bit and he needs like a director to say, no, let's maybe not go here sure. in the third act. Right. Um, yeah. I think, I think you could argue it both ways. Uh, but certainly I think as a writer is where I see the most potential for him in the future. And I didn't see anything here that I'm like, oh, this guy should never direct again. That's fair. I'd agree with all that. All right, we're going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, Scott, we're going to have some news on a new Martin Scorsese project. We're also going to have uh, some news on the big festival lineups coming up for the fall. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. back to this episode of some like it scott scott before we sign off a couple of news items to hit uh you wanted to talk about martin scorsese's uh new project not killers of the flower moon we actually did learn over this past week that killers of the flower moon is unfortunately going to be pushed to 2023 for a likely can film festival debut um so there goes my number one most anticipated movie of and, and of frankly mine too i mean we don't we don't overlap on yeah. our list but that is what is my most anticipated movie of the year to be fair 
So a little bit of an unfortunate blow there, uh, Scott, an unexpected one, I have to say. But um, yeah, on the on the bright side, we did get some news about Scorsese's next project after Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, what do you uh, what do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, well, I, I, it's it's funny that these two pieces of news come out in the same week, and you know, probably not a coincidence because the author of Killer of the Flower Moon, David Gann, is currently working on a new book called The Wager which is a, I think sort of like Killers of the Flower Moon is like, you know, a, a semi, you know, based on a true story type book, um, which is set, I think this one's set much earlier. This is set in the 1700s versus Killers of the Flower Moon is like the early 1900s, I think. And it's about the secret mission to obtain um, like a shipwreck, like the, the treasure off a shipwrecked Spanish galleon, I think. It's uh, almost like, it's very adventure esque but um martin scorsese um and apple i guess i should say apple has auctioned the rights won the auction for the rights to make the movie of this book the movie adaptation of this book and they have once again sort of um i guess tapped martin scorsese and leonardo dicaprio to direct and act in this movie to be fair they didn't originate killers of the flower moon i believe that was originally at paramount um paramount production that they then sold to apple when the price tag just got so high i think the budget for that movie is over 200 million dollars and paramount just didn't see how they'd make that money back i think that's an accurate um analysis of the situation but apple has more money than god and doesn't really care how much money they they'll be spending on these types of movies so um that's how they ended up with killers of the flower moon they've won the rights to the film adaptation of the wager and frankly scott when leo and marty get together it's usually movie magic Think about The Departed, Shutter Island, Wolf of Wall Street. They've had many successes in the past. Was The Aviator too? Did, did Scorsese do The Aviator? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just incredible films. Some of the best Leonardo DiCaprio performances of his career uh, among a long list of very stellar performances on his part. Um, I just rewatched Wolf of Wall Street last night, and it's unbelievable that he did not win an Oscar for that. I mean, he is absolutely unhinged. Um, as Jordan Belfort in that role. It's just really incredible that... I mean, it's a classic story, right? Like, guy gets nominated for seven better performances and then wins for this, wins for The Revenant, which is probably, like, maybe the least exciting. Sure. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, same thing. Sure, yeah. No, 100%. It happens. It, it happens. <laughs> it, it do be like that sometimes. Um, but we have to live with that. But, yeah, so it's it's super exciting. I mean, obviously, Leo's also in Killers of the Flower Moon, which, which we said already. He's not the lead in that one. It's unclear whether he'll be the lead in the wager um but the fact that they're working together again i mean these guys i mean they've both made lots of fantastic movies both together and separate from each other but it seems like when they do work together it's a it's almost a guaranteed hit so um what's not to be excited about yeah i mean look killers of the flower moon was my most anticipated movie of the year a large part of that was seeing martin scorsese and leonardo dicaprio work together again so of course i'm going to you know be looking forward to this movie um you know and expect it to be one of the biggest films of whatever year it gets released in, and one of the big oscar candidates and and all that jazz and the story sounds interesting too but honestly you don't even have to have an interesting story if you have those couple names attached um you know for me at least uh, i'm gonna i'm going to be seated as they say yeah um, and, and the last the last thing too i mean mentioning killers of the flower moon getting pushed to 2023 not to like i don't know like 
10, like nine month early quarterback 2023, Scott. But have you seen the list of movies that are coming out next year? <laughs> Allegedly coming out. I'm not yeah. getting my hopes. No, a Nolan movie is not going to get pushed. I don't think Barbie's going to get pushed. Well, yeah, why would they push Killers of the Flower Moon? So th- those three, those are coming out over the summer, probably. I mean, maybe they're going to hold Killers of the Flower Moon to the fall. But man, I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Mission Impossible. Sorry, I forgot Mission Impossible in there, too. That will be coming out. Christ, also, what a summer. Expect. It will be something, um, Scott. But that is next year. As for this year, we have a festival season upon us. Um, the lineups have been announced for two of the big film yep. festivals of the fall, the Venice Film Festival and the Toronto International Film Festival. There is some crossover, Scott, um, between the two festivals. but As there always um, are. As, yeah. yeah. As far as Venice goes, um, some films that we are looking forward to that are going to be making their debut. Um, the biggest one for me is White Noise, the new Noah Baumbach film, which is now probably my most anticipated of the year with Killers of the Flower Moon out. Uh, his, you know, Baumbach's adaptation of the Don DeLillo novel. Andrew Dominic's Blonde uh, with Ana de Armas as Marilyn Monroe is going to be uh, premiering. Alejandro, Alejandro Gonzalez Inyaritu um, has a new film. Like Bardo is the short title, but yeah. of course, can we just talk about how that is completely title. flying under the radar? Multi-Oscar winner Alejandro Inyaritu is yeah has a film I coming out. It, it yeah, it's it's a big deal for that reason. I do think in the circles, like in the film Twitter circles and everything that we kind of tend to be in, yeah. Inyaritu is not viewed as favorably as a multiple Oscar winner. In winning director might be and so i don't think we see a lot of people talking about it at least there because a lot of the people that we follow are not necessarily excited about it for example i just bring this up as an example adam Naiman. i don't know if you follow adam Naiman, but um, not closely film critic for the ringer and other places he hates Inyari too he like has a vendetta against the guy um and if you follow adam Naiman on twitter he's just like getting tweets off just clowning Inyari too like all day every day um like why so, i don't know like why, why i don't i don't get it either it's it's kind of it, it's almost unprofessional in a way to me but um definitely yeah I, I he's not you know he's made some films that i really like but like he's not one of my favorites but i agree with you that it is we haven't it feels like we haven't talked about this movie at all um I, I, I don't even mean like the critic circles either though it's like i don't feel like whoever who's putting out this movie scott like i forget is it netflix they're just not talking about this movie at all I don't even know. Uh, if it's yeah, I don't. I don't know who it is. I don't think it's Netflix. I, I think it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But um, I'll, look I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Keep going. All right, Florian Zeller's The Son. Um, that's his follow up to, of course, his Oscar winning The Father. Yeah. Bones it's and Netflix. Hulk, new... it, it is Netflix. Oh. That's probably why we haven't heard it, heard anything about it. Bones and All, the new Luca Guadagnino movie, is going to be at Venice. Um, I did not realize that that movie was until this announcement came out, and I'm like, "Oh, this is like Timothy Chalamet is a cannibal." All right, wow. All right then, bones and all, quite literally. Um, yeah, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, right, based on the play with Brendan Fraser as a very overweight man, and I forget who's playing his like daughter in the movie. Is it Sadie Sink? Sadie Sink, right? Okay, uh, of Stranger Things fame. The Eternal Daughter 
uh, Scott, which is a new Joanne Hogg movie, man, she just really pumps them out. She put out, of course, The Souvenir Part 1 and 2 over the last couple of years, and now she's got a new one. Uh, the Banshees of Inna Sharon is another one I feel like not a lot of people McDonough. are talking about from Martin McDonough, whose last film was a big Oscar winner. Uh, three I mean, when the film, the film name is The Banshees of Inna Sharon, I mean, I understand people aren't talking about it. Yeah. Mouthful. Uh, and then the last that. big one I, th I think for Venice Guy is Tar, which is one of my most anticipated movies left as well. Sure. This is Todd Field's movie. They just dropped a trailer, which is a very unique trailer. Um <laughs> it stars Kate Blanchett as a composer. Um, so I think it's going to be a very interesting one. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Um, and then, you know, Scott, just a, a few others like uh, Don't Worry Darling, of course, um, is going to be wide very soon, but also is going to be premiering at the Venice Film Festival. And um, Glass Onion, I think, is premiering tiff or is that glass onion or... is premiering at tiff yeah we'll oh, okay, get there right. at tiff. But, at tiff, um, yeah sorry okay paul schrader has a film called master gardener and, another guy and who just West... pumps them out yeah paul schrader this this western uh dead for a dollar scott which you mentioned to me which i was a movie that was i was not aware of but directed by walter hill um yeah pretty sort of legendary um mainly in the 70s and 80s like crime action filmmaker um great cat hasn't made any hasn't made anything in a while right but this has willem dafoe and christoph waltz in it so um and rachel brosnan right right uh so i definitely have my eye on that one scott turning to toronto you mentioned uh one of the movies that's going to be premiering there is glass onion which is the knives out sequel my most Ryan anticipated Johnson. left right the other i think major one which we learned about is the fablemans which is Yep. Uh, Steven Spielberg's latest movie, which is supposed to be like a coming of age story about his own childhood. Mm -hmm. um, so that is going to be premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, you know, again, some some other crossover, some other movies, Scott, that I was looking at. Um, the Woman King. I actually just saw a trailer for this one a couple of weeks ago. This is um, this is, yeah, Gina Prince-Bythewood, um, director of Love and Basketball, most recently The Old Guard. Um, yep. and she made this movie with Viola Davis in it. What's love got to do with it, Scott? Not from a named director, from an Indian director, I believe, but this is a rom-com with Lily James um, in it that could be something interesting. It's about like an interracial um, relationship, I believe, between her and an uh, Indian man. And Catherine Hardwick has a new movie out called uh, Prisoner's Daughter that is going to be premiering. Peter Farrelly, um, who obviously took home Best Picture. Um, I don't know if he was actually a producer, but his film, his he last was. film, Green Book, won Best Picture. Um, he's got a new movie out. It's a true story called The Greatest Beer Run Ever about like a guy who takes beer to his buddies and who were like fighting in the Vietnam War or something. Um, it's yep. got Zac Efron and uh, Russell Crowe and Bill Murray in it. Um, so I don't know. Probably don't have high expectations for it, but. It's out there, Scott. Um, I mean, he also won. He also he did. He won two Oscars for that movie, right? Didn't he win screenplay too? Didn't he co-write the screenplay? Did he? Was he? Was he on the screenplay for that? I know, like Valalonga or whatever his name is. Was, I thought he co-wrote. He might have yeah. been a co-writer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's possible. But anyway, um, Scott, some foreign films, which actually, you know, some have already premiered, like uh, Broker, the Hirokazu Koreeda movie, which yeah. has a Song Kang Ho in it. Decision to Leave, Park Chan Wook's movie. Those already premiered at Cannes, but I know we're both looking forward to those. Um, Triangle also, Sadness Hong is there too, isn't it? 
or no? Right, yeah, which yeah. one? The Palm Door. Um, Hong Sang Soo, who I believe had two movies out this year. His second one is called Walk Up, and that's going to be premiering there. Um, and one of another one of my most anticipated, Scott, um, is Women Talking, which is Sarah Polly's movie that has yeah. Jesse Buckley, I think Elizabeth Moss, maybe like a, a few pretty big actresses in it. Um, that one is going to be having its international premiere there at uh, at the TIFF festival um the menu uh that's uh the film with uh nicholas holt and anya taylor joy and ray fines um that it, it appears is going to be some sort about some sort of extraordinary tasting menu um is going to be premiering um mark mylod i believe that, he's that's one of the putting guys it mildly extraordinary he's one of the guys behind succession right um, i mean yeah he's like the big episode director for him. he he has like yeah. all the best episodes of succession yeah um stephen frears director of the queen and high fidelity he has a movie out called the lost king a lot of stuff here scott um sam mendez we didn't even mention sam mendez has a new film also director of 1917 and recent bond films called empire of light which I believe is written by is he co-writes it with the same person he co-wrote 1917 with. I think I could be wrong about that. Is it Christy Wilson Cairns? I believe so. I'll, I'll double yeah, check. She that. wrote last night in Soho, so yeah. don't don't really know what to expect there. But yeah, um, but she co-wrote that with Edgar Wright, there, right? Wasn't sure. It wasn't. Yeah, sure. Um, Scott, a lot to take in there. Obviously, we kind of have talked about a lot of these movies and our level of excitement. Any other takeaways from you about? you know, movies that you're looking forward to stuff you didn't know about, maybe that suddenly popped up here. Yeah. I mean, look, there, there's just such a wide variety. I think of, of movies coming out. I also like empire of light. It's just solo written by Sam Mendez. It looks like. Okay. So Christy Wilson, Karen's not involved. Um, but it, it's nice to have these reminders. I mean, Bardo would be the thing, right. That I didn't know about. Like, I just like, I think I might've seen somewhere where in yard two might have a new movie. And then all of a sudden it's debuting at, at Venice. So that's, I mean, that's super exciting to me. I mean, I, I like The Revenant more than most people, although even I would say I would never want to watch that movie again after seeing it the first time. Um, he just has, I just feel like he's such a master behind the camera. I, I think it's really hard to deny for me the quality of films that, that he puts out. Whether those stories resonate you or you're interested in them, that's another that's another matter, of course. But I think that he's a real master of of the craft. Yeah, um, it's an event when he makes a movie. There's no yeah, doubt about it. 100%. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way about Sam Mendes. I know that he maybe had some ups and downs and, um, uh, I mean, certainly, um, Spectre gets, gets away from him in the second half of the film, but the, the first half where he's, I think he's really in fully control of that movie and, and showing off his, his craft and the 1917, you know, one of my favorite movies of the last five years. Um, so really high up there as well, like an empire of light. It's, it's a much softer film. It seems like, I mean, this movie's, if I'm remembering correctly, it's like about like this essentially love story with with the cinema i believe scott i believe this is a this is a oscar bait if i've ever heard it i think so it's this like is a hit, uh belfast i guess or well i don't i don't i mean i don't think it's a it's a biopic of his own life i think it's um i think it's just a i mean maybe it is maybe it's inspired this I'm is not a sure. cinema paradiso okay okay I, yeah maybe actually maybe it does Maybe like Colin Firth is playing him or something in this movie. I don't know. Um, but like it's Olivia Coleman and Colin Firth, I think, are the are the leads. I mean, you put Olivia Coleman in a movie and you make the movie about love of the theater. I think that uh, Oscar voters are going to pay attention. Um, so I, I'm excited for that. 
and yeah, I mean, I'm super excited about these movies. Not not new to us, but the idea that you know they're getting full runs on the festival circuit. You know, being decision to leave um, the Coriata mo- movie. That's name I'm forgetting right now. Like the the fact that those films are making full <laughs> circuit, full festival circuit. Like it's, it feels very likely they'll be at the New York Film Festival or they'll be out shortly after. Like those are that's really exciting to me. I'm really excited to see those movies. Yeah, me too. Um, even with, you know, some of these movies, Scott, like Killers of the Flower Moon, um, like Asteroid City, like getting p- pushed to next year, um, there's still a lot, a lot left to look forward to um, as far as big prestige movies and the type of things that you would expect are going to maybe pop up on our year end list. So still much to be excited about. Um, anything yeah. else you want to add before we conclude today, Scott? No, I would I would echo that. Um we're seeing some of the movies that most of the movies that we'd highlighted on our, on our most anticipated list get moved to next year. But that's the thing, right? I mean, look at, look at our top fives from last year. I mean, yeah, there's some that we knew were coming, but drive my car, you know, insert other movies that we didn't know about. There's a lot still to come. And yeah, there's so much, you know, that's unexpected about doing like, I don't think either of us expected the Top Gun Maverick is going to be like, was going to be like one of the best movies of the year, right? Like, yeah. despite everything, everyone that was involved with it. Um, 100%. Yeah, just a lot never, of Never doubt like, Cruise, though. I mean, now I've learned. Steven learned Soderbergh, this. you know, puts out a random movie on HBO <laughs> Max, like he does like every other month. And it turns out to be one of my favorite, still one of my favorite movies of the year with Kimmy. So, um more 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 yes. uh, more movies need nail guns man i don't know what to say and uh needle dropping the sabotage well i'm not going to say that because actually a lot of movies need needle <laughs> be careful what you song. wish for scott <laughs> uh the jj abrams star trek movies kind of covered that but yeah. uh, all right scott where can our listeners find you on uh, social media at uh, shelton 2013 and i am at scarvy dent on all platforms we hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash pods. Even if you can't support us over there, uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode of the podcast, in which we'll be reviewing the David Leitch-directed Brad Pitt-starring action film Bullet Train. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.